0: Thank you. So as Dom said, today uh, we're moving on in our series of majoring in the minors. And um, when I spoke to Dom about a couple of weeks ago about this preach, I said, Dom, when I found out we are doing this series, I was so excited for a couple of reasons. First of all, because I thought God wanted us to do it anyway. So it's been on my heart for a little bit. But second of all, is that it's a book I read when I became, a, uh, the minor prophets a book I read quite early on in my Christian life. Dom looked a bit shocked at this. Because it's not the natural to go, oh, I've become a Christian, let's read the Minor Prophets. But let's remember I'm dyslexic. So I looked at the smallest books in the Bible and thought, I can achieve a book a night if I start with Obadiah, which is one page, and I move through these different things and go different books and go, yes, I have read a section of the Bible. Oh, yeah. And that was so exciting for me. So can I challenge you, if you've never read the Minor Prophets, it doesn't take very long. I am dyslexic, as I said, and I managed it. So there's no excuse for many of you out there to just give it a go. It's nice and easy way to start reading the Bible. Now that's a little bit of fun, but there's much more to these minor prophets than I've just said about them being short. They're packed full of directions to eternity, to signposts to Jesus, they're packed full to God speaking to his people at the time, and for points that we can learn from today. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, so we can learn from what he's saying to these people, the Israelites. So let's have a recap of where we've got to. So we're in Haggai. Don preached last week. And we found out that Israel disobeyed God. Okay, He, uh, he sent them into exile. He basically cast them out. He said, you've disobeyed me enough times. I've, he's, he's like I've had enough like, he's like you're going, you're going until you're going to come back to me you're going to turn from your ways and you're going to turn back to me and know that I am the only true king I am the only true saviour of you but you just keep rebelling so he sends them into exile the Babylonians take him Babylonians take him in 587 BC but all that time there's still prophets who believe God is going to redeem them and rescue them and bring them back which is the truth Amen he does it for us as well Haggai is written roughly 520, and that's 70 years after the exon. The, uh, the Israelites are sent back to Jerusalem. The Pers- is it Persians take over, and they say, do you know what? You're, we do things as Dom it quite well, we do things differently, or with the video as well, so we do things differently here, as the Persians. We're going to send you back to your nation. We're still going to reign over you, but we're going to send you back. We're going to send you back. And so these Israelites are led back by Joshua who, uh, Joshua is a high priest, uh, um, and another name is quite hard to say, Zerubbabel, I'm going to call him today, we're going to go for Zerubbabel, no Jake. <laughs> um, and um, he's in the line of the King David, and they're led by these two men back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, and uh, we find out that what they do, they build their own houses, and they forget about building God's house. Next thing we find out, as we see up there, is that nothing grows. So kind of what Rose read to us earlier on this morning, they're laboring in vain, nothing's grown, their fields won't produce crops, their, their houses are looking nice but whilst God's house is basically in ruin, it's been destroyed and as we heard last week, their priorities change and they build the house of God and that's where we left it. So today we're going to be reading from Haggai 2, verses 1 to 9. Now, Nick's my usual reader, but I may have forgotten to ask him this week. <laughs> so, which is a good one because there's some horrible names. We're going to listen to Terry. Terry is the spoken word Bible, and they're going to play it from the back, and we're going to listen to the passage that's going to be on the screen.
1: 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Terry. Um, So today, our message, my message to you that I believe God has given me, is very similar to the message that Haggai gave the people of Israel. The three points we're going to look at are when reality doesn't meet expectation. The second point is be strong in the face of that because the spirit is with you. And the last point is that we're promised a glorious eternity. So we've just heard the passage, but I don't know about you. On the next, next screen, um, can we just get it up for a minute? We come to the point when reality doesn't meet expectation. Now, if we've got our first picture here, I don't know about you, life doesn't always meet what you're expecting. Now, this lady, and I'm going to you about a lady, she, it was her wedding day. She ordered the wedding cake. She paid £160 for it. That's what she was expecting. She, she uh, hadn't seen the wedding cake before the wedding day. The cake arrives, and uh, she's not there. And then she comes in for the reception, and this is what she is faced with. Now, I don't know about you, I I remember when we got married, we had a beautiful cake made by Emma, which was amazing. But if I saw that, I'd be quite disappointed. I'd be like, I've paid for this. This is what I'm expecting, but this is what I've received. It just doesn't meet in any way, does it? Now, the next one's a little bit close to home. Yesterday was the World Cup final. It was a very sad day for me. I turned up at the pub at 8.30 in the morning to celebrate. I say celebrate. A bit, bit ambitious, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> to, to watch the Rugby World Cup final. My friend Jake painted my face. I was so excited. And uh, Alex and Phil and Leigh came with me. And what happened? South Africa won. Things go wrong. Law's plan, it's okay. all works in mysterious ways. He brings good from bad. It's all right. Still hurt him that one. But I was so excited. I was so excited about what was going to happen. And I thought we'd win our second World Cup. He's just seen pictures of when reality doesn't meet expectation. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been in a place where you've been so certain that something was going to happen or you're so excited that something something's going to happen, but when it happened, it just didn't? Now, my last story is about something I love talking about, Jurassic Park. Thank you, John. I love Jurassic Park. Now, years ago it was made, and, I, and then recently they made Jurassic World. And when it came out, I, I, about two years before it came out, I was being tagged in photos of people being like, it's been agreed, it's been agreed, and all my excitement was building. I was like, I cannot wait for Jurassic World to come out. It's going to be amazing. I was making up plot lines in my head. I was thinking the T-Rex could do something, and the, you know, Sam Neill might come back, and, and all these things. And I was so excited. I went to watch it, and I arrived on the day, and I had my Jurassic Park T-shirt on because I remember getting it out early, making sure it was washed and clean, so I could wear it for the first few. And I went the morning after it, the evening after it came out. Got there, I sat down, whole way through the film. I was thinking, this is good, but it wasn't what I was expecting. There'd be these odd moments of glimpses where I was like, "Oh, that links to the old film," like when they turn. Oh, I won't go into it; I'll always be all day. Um, but there's glimpses of the old film. I was like, "That's amazing! It's a link to Jurassic Park." But it wasn't what I planned in my head. It wasn't as good as Jurassic Park. And it wasn't as good as my expectations. And we pick up the story in Haggai a month later after they've started building the temple. The Israelites look at the temple and go, it's just not as good, is it? They're downhearted. There's a verse that Haggai says, um, God says, Who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? They look at it and go, we put all this effort in to start building it, we listen to you. It just doesn't look the same. It's small, it's not grand. In the face of what they were expecting, they got a small Temple. And the people who were there before, who were old enough to remember the old temple, as it says, looked at it and thought, it's like nothing. Now there might be lots of reasons for this. But they were in a place where reality just didn't meet expectations. One clue we get is the date. Now, I didn't know this until I did a bit of research. The date um, in the passage was the 21st day of the seventh month, if you see now, that is, uh, according to lots of resources I've, I've looked at, it's the day before last of the celebration of, of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this was a feast day. There should have been lots going on. But we remember where Dom spoke to us about how nothing had been growing in the ground. So they had limited resources. and they were, So they've, they've been led out of exile. They've come back to Israel... And then they're like, oh, it's, it's not long. And they get told and they turn back to God. It's not long to we have our celebration month. We have a feast of the tabernacles and it's exciting. And then they realise they just don't have the same resources. Remember, there's nothing that's been grown and they've been in exile, so they've not got a lot. So they've led, been led out, of, led, led out of exile with great expectations and not even the feast is as good. And as I said, you've got the temple... It's not as big, it's not as grand as the old one. The Ark of the Covenant has been destroyed by this point. And they're like, where's the presence of God? It's not even there. And as I said, Haggai said, they looked at it and thought it was like nothing. It's like they were saying, and there's there's many ways you can take this. There's a few things. First of all, they... It's like, where are the good old days? Where are the good old days of the Grand Temple? Where's that? Where's that impressive building that stood here? So they had a nostalgic view. Secondly, they were living in a diff- difficult situation. It's true. We've all been there when life is hard. So we're going to look at those two aspects first of all. A nostalgic view. So what does nostalgia even mean? Uh, So according to the dictionary, it's a sentimental longing or wishful affection for the period of the past. I've probably made loads of spelling mistakes on this, but it's okay. Do you ever look back at the past and think, I wish it was like that then. I wish we were back in the medieval times where there was like monasteries everywhere and grand churches and it seemed like Christianity was rampant across the nation. Do you ever look back at it like that? That's kind of what some of the Israelites were doing. They had a longing for the old times. There's a few points here that we might look at when we have a nostalgic view. Is this how Christianity looks to you today, within the UK, where it's not meeting expectations? Telegraph in July 19, so really recently, said Christian belief has halved in, in Britain. In the last 35 years, we've just one in three people now identifying as a Christian, while atheism and Islam continue to rise. Of almost the 4,000 people polled by the National Centre for Social Research, 38% of them described themselves as Christians, a fall from 50% in 2008 and 66% in 1983. Do you look at the situation and go, I wish it was like the old days. I wish we had a higher percentage of Christians... Or maybe it's a seeming move away from Christian values. Maybe you look at marriage. Maybe you look at lots of other areas in our life, work ethics, opening. Maybe, maybe you've got, uh, you're thinking about Sabbath and you're like, we don't, we don't hold the Sabbath anymore and things like that. Maybe that's you. you. You feel like the nation has moved away from Christian values and you think, I wish it was like the old days. Or maybe it's a move to remove Christianity full stop. There's a, there's a tweet up here. Lay showed this to me. Andrew Wilson retweeted it. Uh, It says, It's super cute when journalists and interviewers for magazines leave out the massive part where I give God the glory for success and achievements in my life. (laughs) Ha ha, I still love you and God will still be praised. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you wish we lived in a time where we could openly talk about our faith and it would be reported and it wouldn't be cut out. Now my point here is not... To say, don't long for some of the things of the past where there's a higher percentage of people practicing. If I was to say that, I don't know why they'd ever ask me to preach again. We want everyone to be praising Jesus. We want everyone to be Christians. We want everyone to be holding Christian values. We want everyone to, to be able to express their faith out fear and not, and not being removed. But the Bible's quite clear about a longing for the old days. It doesn't really like it. In fact, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10 says, Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask these questions. And Phil Moore states, we need to remember this, that God is with us. Because harking back to the way that God has moved in the past often spoils our present response to what he is doing among us in the present. Whatever great things God has done in the past, you and I don't live there. And all we can do is respond to what God is doing now. And we need to do exactly that. Haggai talks to the people and says, I understand that you're looking at the temple. And yeah, it's true. It doesn't look as grand. But God says, I'm still doing a good thing. I'm still doing a good thing. So we need to find a balance between looking at the past and holding on to the amazing lessons and the forefathers of our faith and the people who have stood up and been and some, many people were martyred for their faith. For anyone who stood up, the Christian values, and we need to hold on to all those things. But we need to be a people that that don't long to be living in the past, long for the ways of the past, because as Fillmore says, it often spoils and makes us miss what God is doing in the day in, in today. The second thing I said was that the Israelites were living in a difficult situation. And Rose's word brilliantly ties into this. She came up and read about nothing growing, basically, <coughs> and the fact that that's how our lives can seem sometimes. Life was hard for the Israelites, as I said. There was no food, there was a poor temple, and they'd been in exile. Is that how you look at your situation today? That life is hard. This is not what I was expecting when I gave my life to God. Isn't Jesus supposed to be with me? Isn't isn't He God for me? Why have I got illness or suffering or job loss? Why do things keep going wrong? Loss of relationships, friendships, or a constant, a seeming constant knockback in everything in your life. Why is it? Or why do you think? Why didn't that plan work out? I thought it would. I'm sure, maybe it's something you thought God had put on your heart. Maybe it's home life or church life, a new house, an extension that hasn't worked properly. Or maybe it's serving in the church and, and you had new ideas and you want to step out and you're gift in your gifting and you feel like that plan just didn't work out. Maybe you're in a place where your expectations didn't meet the reality. Now, ITV are doing a cool thing at the moment where they say, stop, just talk. Britain, get talking or whatever it is. And we're going to do that now. We're going to stop. KCC, get talking. And we're going to do something where I'm going to literally give you a minute. And you can talk if you want, or you can think by yourself, I want you to seriously consider two things. Do you hold a nostalgic view of the past in the wrong way, where you're longing for the past and wishing you were there and missing what God's doing today? That's your first thing. And second one is... Are you living in a difficult situation and actually your expectations haven't met up to what God is saying, what God is actually doing now? So you're going to have a minute. So KCC, get talking. I'm going to stop for a minute. Go. Now I hope... That sounds like a teacher, doesn't it? Zero, one, two. Eyes on you. Thank you. Um, Okay. We've We've come back to it. Maybe in that time you thought, Yeah, maybe I do hold nostalgic view in the wrong way. And let me be clear that, as I said before, there are many things we should celebrate about the past. Many, many things. But there is a way of being nostalgic in the wrong way. Second of all, maybe in that time you thought, my life is actually really hard. And this wasn't what I was expecting of my walk with Jesus. But in that passage, what does it say? Well, our next point says... coming. It says, be strong, the Spirit is with you. So the Spirit is with you. Now I'm going to tell you a story, it says I'm going to tell you a story about buying a house, but God spoke to me this morning What during worship, so we're going to change that story to another one. Um, church, you know this probably, about two years ago, um, after playing rugby one, like one day, I got a lump on my leg and uh, I thought nothing of it. I was like, oh, it's just a bruise. About a month later, my lump was still there. There was no, uh, no bruising came out. There was absolutely nothing at all. And I remember thinking, oh, this is a worry. Um, John, I saw John and he was like, you know what, Sam, it's probably nothing, but you probably should go and get it looked at because you've had it for about over a month now and nothing's changed. So off to the doctors, I went. I remember going, thinking, I'd probably say it's nothing. The doctor felt it and was like, that doesn't feel good to me. I'm going to urgently put you through for a... Uh, like um, I can't remember what it was. Uh, uh, something in the just shouted that. Basically, I had something, and um, they did an ultrasound as well, and they did different things. And and the the person in the um, the person doing the ultrasound said, I said, what can you say? And they said, I can't tell you much, but we're going to rush you through. Which doesn't make you sound particularly like, oh, this is going really well. They just keep saying they're rushing me through. You kind of think if it was nothing, they'd go, oh, don't worry, we'll just you go on the normal waiting list. So then I got rushed through to the next stage, and I ended up in a hospital in. Um, in London, and they did an amazing job, they did a biopsy, and they did MRIs, and I was still panicking, and I was so scared, I, was, I remember coming home from the doctors, weeping, in my head phone, my, my, my head teacher phoned me, I picked up the phone, thinking, oh, I'm probably going because I hadn't phoned since going to the doctors that morning, and I knew they were going to tell me off, and um, I literally was driving home, and she phoned me on my car phone, and she started talking, and I just burst into tears, talking to my head teacher, and she was like, don't worry, phone me back, I thought you could have consoled me, but, um, you, he uh, you said, phone me back." So I got home, and my dad—I went to my mum and dad's. And my dad was there, and I said to him, "I said to him, it doesn't." They said, "It doesn't look good, Dad." And I broke down, and I and that was working in a different school. We phoned Leigh and they released Lay to come back to my house. And um, I was in bits. I—I honestly, I, this is what you do, isn't it? When you worry, I thought I was going to die. I thought this was it for me. And I remember standing there going. God, I thought you had a plan for me. Is your plan for me to die of cancer? And that was such a wrong thought. It was such a wrong thought. Not only was it not cancer at the end of the day, but God has great plans for all of us. And who am I to question his plan and what what he says to me? Who am I to do that? But he says to me, Be strong, Sam, for I am with you. And that's exactly what, what Haggai, when saying what God was saying to the people of Israel. They're in such a hard time. And God says, he doesn't condemn them for feeling like this is hard. He says, no, I understand, but I've got three instructions for you. Number one, be strong. Number two, is hard harder the spot. It says, keep working. And number three is, do not fear. And when I first heard them, I was like, God... Like this is what it sounds like to me. And God says, no. When I say them, remember heaven's perspective on these. Remember my perspective. There's not a worldly, be strong. Be strong to me does not mean don't show emotion. Be strong to me does not mean don't lean on others. Be strong means know that I am with you and I am for you and know your promise. the promises I have said over you. Know your identity. He says, be strong. And he also says... I am the one who gives you that strength. In Isaiah 40, verse 29, it says this, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even the ewes grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fail. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And that's what he's saying to us. We were in exactly the same position that the Israelites were in. They were in a hard time. And if you were that person who identified when we had that quick discussion time of, my life does not meet the expectations I had of my walk with Jesus. God says, be strong. Because I will renew you. And you will soar on wings like an eagle. And that's what he's saying to Israel. He's like, be strong in me. And me and Leigh were talking about this, and we thought this is a really big point for a lot of people in the church. So, in fact, uh, the passage says this, God says, now be strong. And it it says someone's name, it says Joshua, or it says, the name name's Zubro, Zebi. And um, he says that. And so I'm going to say, be strong. And I might say a couple of names I know, but as I say be strong, I want you to replace your name in that place. So I'll say be strong, and if you're feeling that place, I might say, be strong, Nick. And then Rose might be thinking, actually, I need that as well. And Rose would go, when I say Nick, she would go, be strong, Rose. So we're going to do that, and I'm going to say a couple of people's names as I say it. So let's start. Be strong now, Joshua. That's an easy one, because actually he's in the passage. Be strong now, Kezia, declares the Lord. Be strong, Darren, son of God the Almighty. Be strong, Phil, declares the Lord. Be strong, Lizzie, daughter of God the Almighty. Be strong, Robin, declares the Lord. Be strong, Val, daughter of the Almighty. Be strong, Maureen, declares the Lord. Be strong, Jackie. Daughter of God the Almighty. Be strong, John, declares the Lord. Be strong, Leigh, daughter of God the Almighty. Now, if I didn't say your name, it's not because God's not telling you to be strong, I just chose a few. God's saying to all of us, be strong, Sam, son of God the Almighty. The next instruction God gives us is to keep working. It's a really small phrase. It says, and work. And you're like, I wasn't expecting that. God is kind of thinking you'll say, take a rest because you're having a hard time. No, he doesn't say it. He says, and work. And another way of saying that is keep going. Because that's what God has commissioned them to do. In the bit before that Dom spoke to us, his instruction to them was work. So whatever God's instruction is to you in a time of hardness, he says, Keep going. Now, the same as before, worldly, we think that in a certain way. But God says, it does not mean push yourself beyond what you can cope with, beyond your limits. It does not mean work in your own strength, but work in my strength. It means walk every day with me, says God. It means keep going and know that I am in control. And there's a really famous passage in Hebrews 12:1 to3. It says, "Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangled. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith." It's amazing, isn't it? Keep going. And it's the same thing again here. God says, keep going. And keep running. As we heard from Hebrews, keep running. <coughs> so I won't do the same thing again, but maybe you want to say to yourself, keep running, Sam. And the next thing God tells us is, look around you to see who's cheering you on. And yes, we can look at the people of the past and the amazing stories in the word, and they can help us cheer on, but we've got a family here that cheers us on just as much. Keep running, Sam, because Tessie is cheering you on. Keep running, Sam, because Christine is cheering you on. In that time where things are hard and the expectation has not met the reality, reality has not met the expectation. So yes, God told me to keep going. Keep going, Sam, because Matt is cheering you on. And who's cheering us more than anyone? Jesus, keep going, Sam, because Jesus is cheering me on, because Jesus is with me and it's in his strength I keep going. The last instruction we face in this is do not fear. Yet again, God said, don't look at this in a worldly way, Sam. Look at this in what I say worry is. He said to me, Sam, worry may slip in, but I'm telling you you can cast it out because perfect love casts out all fear. He said it means... That when we call on God, he knows our fears, number one. And he takes us through them and he can cast them out. And he is a faithful God. In fact, Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Do not fear, he says. Yet again, you can put your own name in this. Do not fear, Emma, because I have redeemed you and you are mine, says God. Manji says exactly the same to you. Joanna says exactly the same to you. Lee and Tracy says exactly the same to you. He says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I remember in that, what I said God said, he didn't say worry won't slip in. He says, in that moment, remember that I have redeemed you and you are mine. Do not fear, for I am greater than the enemy that opposes you. And why does he ask us to do that? <coughs> well, we're given two reasons here. The first one, it says, for I am with you, my spirit remains among you. For I am with you, my spirit remains among you, is the first reason. The second reason we're given is the future glory. And that's a point for us towards Jesus. Now, remember that story I told you about my leg? That I was crying when I was telling it. I wasn't expecting to cry when I was telling it, because I've told it many times before, but it hit me today. And um, throughout it all, God said those same instructions to me. Be strong, do not fear, keep going, for the very reasons I said. But the one thing that gripped him more than anything in that moment, yes, was amazing family, yes, was lay, yes, was all you guys, was knowing that God was with me and is with me because he promises it. So we see for the Israelites, they look at the temple and they look at their situation and they go, it just doesn't meet what I was expecting Life is hard, we don't even have the food that we need. But God's promises for I am with you. And my spirit remains among you. In the midst of such a hard time, they're given that amazing promise. God knows their situation, and he says. In the hardest of time, I am still with you. I I asked that question earlier on where you are like, Jesus, aren't you supposed to be with me? Jesus, God, aren't you, aren't you my God? And God says, in the hardest of time, I am still with you. I have not left you. See, they were worried, the Israelites. As I said, the temple was not grand. The ark was not there. (laughs) They were like, if the ark's not, there's a question I've read about it. Some people were saying that there were questions around if the ark of the covenant where God's presence was dwelling, if it's not there, is God really with us? That was um, one of the questions that people have posed about this passage. And God moves in straight away and goes, my promise still stands from Egypt where I said I will not leave you. My promise still stands, I will always be with you. My spirit dwells amongst you. And it's like he's screaming it to us today. And he says it millions of times, well not millions, I'm quite an exaggerator. And lots of times in the New Testament he says, I am with you to the very end of the age. Do you not get it guys? I will always be with you. My spirit is with you no matter where you go. And he's screaming at us today. He says, in your hard situation, I'm going to stand there and I'm going to be there. And I'm going to love you and I'm going to hold you because you are mine. For I am with you. My spirit dwells amongst you. And for us. If you've given your life to Jesus, your spirit doesn't dwell just amongst us. The spirit lives in you. What a greater step that is. It doesn't just lit, the spirit doesn't dwell amongst us. He lives in us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. So what does he call us to do today? He calls us to be strong, but in a heaven's perspective. He calls us to keep going in heaven's perspective. And he calls us not to fear the evil one in heaven's perspective. He doesn't promise ever that life is going to be easy. In fact, he promises the opposite. He says, We're going to suffer, we're going to be persecuted. But he says, I am with you. What great promise do we need than that? I am with you. God, the creator, the one true living God, says to you, I am with you. He said it to the Israelites at the time when they looked and the situation was hard and the temple was not what they wanted it to be. They said, I am still with you. Keep going. Be strong and do not fear. And then we come on to the final point, and it's not a big point in terms of time, but in my head it's a big t- big point in terms of the, uh, the magnitude of it and just how amazing it is. The point to Jesus in this passage is unbelievable, a future glory. Now the first thing we see is that in this passage, I don't know if you read it, up here I put Lord of hosts, oh no I didn't, Up um, Lord of hosts or in the passage we said Lord Almighty suddenly appears again and again and again in the last few, chapters, few verses. I don't know if you noticed that, in fact I think it's five times in four verses that God says, uh, Haggai says Lord Almighty, now, why did God suddenly throw that in to His to His word to go? Oh, I've not really mentioned it for a while. Maybe I've just maybe I need to remember. Maybe I've forgotten to tell them. No, because He's trying to make a point. As there's a point towards Jesus, He declares Himself in ESV Lord of Hosts and in NIV God, uh, Lord Almighty. He declares Himself in control of all things. So as he's talking about the coming of Jesus and the future glory of the temple, he's also declaring that he's in control of all things. And this wasn't a secondary plan. He's declaring in this moment that this is what, my, this is what it's all about, guys. I am in control of all things. I love you. And I've got a plan that's going to redeem you. So firstly, when we look at, look at the point towards Jesus, let's look at the timing that this was written. So I mentioned the feast. But also, it's after the exile. Now, I love the story of the return from exile. I think it's just so amazing. Even in here, they give you like a a snippet of it, and you're like, oh, wow, God, you just had everything planned out, didn't you? Who were the two guys? Can anyone remember their names The two guys that led them out of of the exile? Joshua and Zebi, Zerubbabel. Now, who were they? Joshua was a... High priest, Zerubbabel. Who is he? Yeah, Lion of David. thank think he's a Lion of David. David was king. He lead, these two men lead Israel out of exile. Now, what are some of the names given to Jesus? The great high priest and king, Majesty. What a forerunner this is of a small point, just in itself, towards Jesus is coming to take you out of this. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, who's going to be king and high priest. And that's exciting. That is exciting that there's this thing here where they, where they get there. And the next thing is that they don't just lead them out. And God really spoke to me. They don't just lead them out of exile. They lead them into something. They don't just lead them out and go, let's just wander for a bit. There's nothing going on. They take him out and they lead him back to Jerusalem, back to God's holy city, back there. And God says, the first point in this is Jesus does the same for us. He leads us out of the exile and into relationship. He leads us out of the darkness and into the light. Now that's exciting. And that's just from the people's names and who they are. So there's so many points in here about Jesus and the future. I can't go into them all. The next is the temple itself. I don't know about you. They described it as seeming like nothing and I'm, I'm sure it wasn't nothing. I'm sure they've built kind of a structure by now. They've been working it in a month. But compared to the old, it seemed like nothing. Now, this is a, a little bit of a stretch, I think, but I love it anyway. The temple seemed unglamorous. Where the presence of God's world, it seemed unglamorous. We're coming up to Christmas. It's okay in November. We can start listening to Christmas songs now. We, Mariah Carey's on the way. Thank you, Mike, for sending me that the other day. Where was Jesus born? In an unglamorous stable. It's like God was saying, hey guys, this is another forerunner of what Jesus is going to be like. Hey guys, let's not look, let's not look at all the external of this temple. Yes, it's impressive and yes, I deserve an impressive house. But let's look at what it really means. It's just a place for my presence. And I'm going to be born in a... My son's going to be born in a stable which seems just as unglamorous, but it's going to be the most amazing stable. Why? Because my son and God himself will be there. It's like God was trying to turn switches to say, the external doesn't really matter. It's about where my presence is. That's what makes things glorious. It's about who lives there. The next thing, there's, an amazing, there's two amazing verses in this thing. It says, verse 9, uh, the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And verse 7 says, I will fill this house with glory. So God's clearly got a plan here. He knows what's going on. We're, gonna, we're coming near to the end now. Now, I've never noticed this. And as I said, I read this book very early on in my life, and I've read it a few times. Now this temple they're talking about, when Jesus is born, he goes there at 12 and he, he teaches the scriptures and he, he explains things to the people who are there. So this, this, this new house, which doesn't seem as glorious as the old as the old temple, his, his glory is greater because Jesus himself goes there and teaches. And it just blew my mind that sometimes we have to think to ourselves, you know what, let's look at our expectations. I think actually my expectations were my expectations but my God is in reality and doing things, and I might not always understand what's going on. But he is greater than all things, and no matter where he is, it is glorious, and I want to be there. Which is, isn't it just, is it just me who finds it amazing that Jesus went to this temple, that they, that they were moaning about and thought it was nothing? Like Israel's like, this is nothing, and the Son of God goes there and teaches. It just blows my mind that this is just what it is. I think it's just amazing. But I want to tell you about another glorious temple to finish. There's a temple that Jesus describes, and, it, causes, and it, was re, it was said it would be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. And that's his body. Now, I don't know about you, but when you've read the, the, the word, the Jews were not expecting Jesus to come in the way he did and to achieve in the way he did. I'm not even sure the disciples really got it if when, we, when we read it. Sometimes I seem to get it, sometimes they don't. Their expectations were not what Jesus really did. But I want to finish to tell you about a reality that far outweighed the expectation. Jesus' body. In John, he describes it as a temple. He says, it's my, the temple is my body it will be torn down and destroyed, and in three days, it'll be rebuilt. And I can't help but want to talk about the gospel. The fact that all of us sitting here, if you've given your life to God, then you celebrate this moment of God saying, I'm, I'm, Jesus says, my body's going to be torn down, which means I'm going to die. I'm going to die on a cross, guys. I'm going to die. And it's going to seem like the expectations haven't been met. I'm going to die. But three days later it's going to be rebuilt, and we heard in the story, that it gets put in a tomb, and three days later they go, and the body's not there. And the rebuilding of that, of that temple is Jesus being alive. Jesus being alive. Jesus taking our sin on the cross and tearing down the temple. His body was torn down. He died. Three days later, he's risen, the temple was being rebuilt. And why is that? What does it achieve? Yes, we can talk about, we have to talk about sin, the fact that we rejected God and we brought back to him because of when we put faith in him, he forgives us for a sin. But what I think God wanted to put on my heart today for you guys, what does it achieve? Relationship. What are temples all about? Coming into the presence of God, that's what they were. That's what they were in Old Testament times. You came in, and you couldn't even get to the holiest of holies because you weren't allowed to, because his presence was so great. But what did God, Jesus, die, achieve by dying and raising again, by that temple being rebuilt? Is that the spirit now lives in you? The spirit now lives in you. They're rebuilding of the temple in that case. We're saying it will rebuild. It'll be rebuilt and if you put your trust in me and say, repent from your ways and put your trust in me, you have me. You have me. I will live in you by my spirit. And I want to challenge you today. Are you like those Israelites who look at your body and look at the state that you're in and say, It seems like nothing. It seems like nothing. Or are you a person who looks at what God has done for you and says it seems like everything? It seems like everything because it is everything. It is everything. And we're just going to finish there. I don't even know what the time is. 20 past 12. I'm going to finish and we're going to worship. So, if the band could come up, that'd be great. But as they come up, I'm just going to pray over us. And I'm going to pray that we are strong, we keep going, and we do not fear because God is with us. And when we look at our situation ourselves, we know it is not nothing, but it was achieved by everything. And therefore, we know that God is with us. And probably some of the preaching eight points I could have just said that and it would have been done. So let me pray. Yeah, Lord, we thank you. The fact that you, uh, in your Old Testament, you point to Jesus in so many ways. And we thank you for the fact that you promised to be with us. And Lord, we come to you now and we say, Lord, if we are in that hard, hard time where our expectations don't meet the reality, help us to be strong to keep going and not to fear the evil one. Because you are with us. And Lord, thank you. Thank you that you, you died on a cross. That temple was destroyed and three days later it was rebuilt in victory and because of that we have a relationship with you so Lord we just pray for all of us here and we just pray that you help us to look at our situation and go God you are in control and although it's hard my life is not nothing it is everything because it was achieved by everything by you dying on the cross for us so Lord help us to worship and celebrate you now to celebrate what you achieve in the cross and the fact you are with us help us to walk out from this place this morning and go I walk with God for he is with me and we pray this all in your name Amen